Today I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, then verses 6 to 11, and finally verse 17. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the Son of Abraham, and Jesse, the father of David the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam was the father of Abijah, and Abijah was the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Morning, everyone. Great to see you all. Uh, my name is Jared. I'm the pastor here, and um, it's my privilege to open God's Word this morning as we look at that passage that Susan's just read for us in Matthew 1. Um, I understand that it, it's a bit, it seems a bit bitsy. That's my fault. Um, it's basically we're doing three parts on this Matthew 1, 1 to 17, and we're looking at uh, three titles of Jesus. And so we looked at Jesus, the son of Abraham, last week. This week, we're looking at Jesus, uh, the son of David. And then next week, we're going to look at Jesus who brings the return from exile. So please join me as we pray to our God. Father in heaven, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so uh, to, to give you a, a big picture understanding of what we're doing, so th this is the Old Testament, this is the New Testament. Uh, in the Old Testament, God gave promises and he partially fulfilled them in there. Um, but the ultimate fulfillment of all of those promises comes in the Lord Jesus, which is, uh, we hear about him um, more in the New Testament. He's there in the Old Testament, but he, he comes to earth in the New Testament. And um, we see all of those promises that God made fulfilled. Like God made promises to Abraham, God made promises to David. Uh, some of these promises were essentially the same promises made again. Promises of land, a great name, a nation, and rest from enemies. But by promising them to David, they become more specific in scope. They'd been promised to Abraham, the descendants of Abraham. And then, so we're looking for a son of Abraham. But now we know which line in Abraham's line to look for. We're looking for a son of David. And these promises were partially fulfilled in, in the life of Solomon, David's son. But Solomon as a king left a lot to be desired, uh, not living his life wholly for the Lord. Uh, today we're going to explore what God promises concerning the son of David. And we'll see the partial fulfillment of this in Solomon and we'll see the ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. So, uh, do you have a table in front of you? Hopefully you do. If you don't, there might be some around that you can grab. Um, I think Quivis has got some at the back if you need one. Um, basically, we're going to work our way through this table so that we can see how God made the promise in there, uh, how God partially fulfilled it in the middle, and then how God ultimately fulfills it in Jesus. So, help, have that in front of you. Hopefully, it'll be helpful. 
So we find the promises uh, where God makes his covenant with David back in 2 Samuel 7. Uh, In that time, David wanted to build a house for God. David looked around at all that he had and thought, why am I living it up in this mansion and God's living in a tent? That, do- that doesn't seem right. We should Let me do something about this. Let me address this. And Nathan tells him, go for it. You know, God's with you. Do, do it. Do it all that's in your heart. Um, but God then ap- appears to, to Nathan and tells him, um, he tells David through Nathan, that instead of David building God's house, God will build David's house. Um, doesn't mean God's going to build David a mansion. No, it means he's going to build his lineage. Someone's going to come in David's line um, to whom God makes massive promises. And God makes massive promises about this son of David. And we're going to look at three of them uh, now. So the first one, that God would establish David's son's kingdom forever. That's the first box. Then the next one, David's son will build God's house. And finally, God would discipline David's son when he committed iniquity, but his love would not depart from him. So let's have a look at those, each of those promises in turn. God will establish David's son's kingdom forever. Uh, as, as sort of subsets of, these, uh, of this promise, um, we, we get a few interrelated promises about how God will establish David's son's kingdom. So the first thing that we see there is that the son of David would be king. Uh, God makes a promise there in 2 Samuel 7. So if you want to flick there, it would be helpful to have this open um, as we do this. Worth mentioning that normally uh, we we just stick in one passage. What we're doing today is, and, and in these three weeks is a bit different because we're trying to see a big picture of how God has made promises and then fulfilled them in Scripture. Um, but yeah, helpful to uh, turn to 2 Samuel 7. So in verse 12, uh, it says this. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. So David's son will be king. The next thing that we see there is um, that the son of David would be God's son. Not only is the son of David king, he's God's son uh, with God as his father. And, and when you think about the promise of that intimate relationship, it's, it's astonishing. Um, David knew God, and, and now he hears that his son, who will come in his line, will actually be God's son. So have a look with me in verse 14 there. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. That's very close, intimate, personal language that God's using about David's son. And then finally, the son of David will rule forever. Uh, God promised to establish the son of David forever. Not, not for a while, uh, not, not, for, not even just for ages, but forever. God's uh, saying here that David, the one who's coming in your line, is going to rule everything forever. God will establish his kingdom forever, never ending. And we know when God promises forever, he means forever. So we see that, that God here has said that the son of David's going to be king He's, he's going he's gonna to rule. Uh, someone from David's own line is going to be this king. The son of David would be God's son. He's going to have that intimate personal relationship with God. Um, and then finally, the son of David will rule forever. He will reign. His, he'll have a kingdom that never, never ends. Um, and so though that's sort of the, the first box there in the top left. Then we get to David's son would build God's house. 
So instead of David building that house that he thought, oh, I'll build this for God, God tells him, uh, no, that your son will build that house for him. So in, in, in verse 13 there, God talking about David's son says this, he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So we've just spoken about how God will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And now we see that God's saying that David's son will build for him a house. And this house wasn't just any house, but it's a house for God's name. Uh, It's a place for God to be glorified. Uh, It's the place where God would be specially present with his people. And we'll see how that comes to pass in a moment. And then finally, the third promise that we're looking at there is God would discipline David's son when committing iniquity, but his love would not depart from him. And now, that seems to put a little bit of a dampener on things. There's going to be iniquity and discipline. Um, that, that doesn't sound too good, does it? Um, have a look with me there in, uh, in the end of uh, 14. When he commits iniquity, when, not if, um, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. Uh, So his love will not depart from him as it did from Saul, but there is going to be some iniquity that God is going to uh, uh, discipline the son of David for. And so we're going to see how there's partial fulfillment of these promises. And we see many sons of David fall short and be disciplined for their iniquity. Um, and, And then we'll see a son of David who doesn't fall short. And we'll see what happens there a little bit later. But the prime example of the one who partially fulfills these promises is David's son, Solomon. So, partial fulfillment in the Old Testament. Uh, Who's heard of Solomon? Yep, nice. Um, Back in the day, a lot of people had heard of Solomon because he was known for being such a wise person, a wise man. Uh, when, uh, uh, When he asked God for wisdom, God gave him wisdom and he also gave him a whole bunch of other stuff as well. Uh, God establishes Solomon's kingdom. He, uh, he gives him a great kingdom where he rules and there's peace, prosperity, wisdom, security, uh, power and rule and rest from enemies. Um, but we'll see that, that we're left wanting more. Uh, this, this, this isn't the forever king. Uh, so we see Solomon becomes king in 1 Kings 2.12. Um, so you can flick there if you want to. Um, and it says uh, these words. So Solomon sat on the throne of David, his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. So if you've been following along with, um, with the Bible, you've been reading 2 Samuel and you get into Kings and you're thinking the son of David's coming and you go, Solomon, he's the son of David and his God has established his kingdom firmly. You've got to be thinking, setting your sights pretty high at this point, thinking this is going to be the best because God's made these promises and he's bringing them to fulfillment. So Solomon does become king. Uh, And and, and so have a a high view, an exciting time of what that's going to mean. In um, 1 Chronicles uh, 28.6, you don't have to turn there, but um, God uh, refers to, uh, it's described as God referring to Solomon as his own son. So um, it says this in verse 6, David is, is, is saying this. He said to me, God said to me, it is Solomon, your son, who shall build my house and my courts. For I have chosen him to be my son and I will be his father. 
So God uses that personal language to refer to Solomon. Uh, but again, we'll see how there's, there's, we're still left wanting more. And so despite Solomon's enormous success, his wealth, his power, his, his peace, his rule, being so wise that people from all over the world flock to hear him, uh, he doesn't endure as king. Uh, his heart is divided. It doesn't go wholly after the Lord. And God tears the kingdom from him and he dies. Solomon and the other kings who came after him, they also died. And so we're left wondering, who's going to be this king who rules forever? Who's, who's going to be the king who, who, whose kingdom is firmly established forever that never ends? Because it can't be Solomon, it can't be Rehoboam, it can't be Jeroboam, and it can't be any of the other guys uh, that have seemingly come after because they've all died. They're all in tombs somewhere, uh, not presently ruling over the world as they once did. So we're left looking for another king, a king who will rule forever. And not just any king, but the son of David who will rule forever. Then we get to uh, Solomon builds God's house, the temple. As God promised, the son of David, Solomon, builds God's house, a house for his name, the temple, uh, where, where God uh, was specially present with his people. Was, it was an absolutely majestic building. Uh, you can read about it all in, in 1 Kings 6. Uh, the amazing materials, the enormous plans, the attention to detail, the intricacies. It's an amazing achievement. And when, when you consider uh, the technology they were dealing with, was well, nothing like what we have today, uh, but they made this, this astonishing temple. But this temple, also like Solomon's kingship, doesn't last. When the people reject God, and sin and are thrown into exile by God, those who take the land burn the temple to the ground. Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, the servant of the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, burned the temple to the ground. And so this leaves us wondering again, when will there be a lasting temple? How will God live with his people, be specially present with them going forward forever? With the temple gone. Uh, Solomon, finally, we'll get to point three. Solomon commits iniquity, going after idols and not the Lord. So that's that bottom box in the middle there. Unlike David, his heart was not wholly after the Lord. And instead, he went after foreign women and idols. He had, I think, yeah, was it 700 wives and um, a few hundred concubines and um, he started worshipping all kinds of other idols, worshipping idols um, instead of the Lord. Um, and God judges him. He judges him by tearing the kingdom from him. He gives ten tribes to his servant, Jeroboam. But because of David, uh, he leaves Judah and Benjamin to Solomon's son and successor, Rehoboam. You can read about that in 1 Kings 11 and 12. So we find... This guy, Solomon, who, who has like these really high moments where you think, wow, here is the guy who, who's, who's the son of David, the promised son of David, who is, uh, his kingdom has been established by God. He builds this amazing temple, but, but it doesn't last, does it? He doesn't last as king. He goes after idols and, 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 and he's divided in his heart and God tears the kingdom from him. 
He builds the temple, but the temple doesn't last either. It's burnt to the ground. And he commits iniquity going after idols. And God judges him as he said he would, uh, disciplining him. Um, and, and so we see clearly Solomon uh, is not the ultimate son of David that we've been waiting for. Like there, there, are, there are bits there where you see, yes, he's, he's, he's partially for, that God has partially fulfilled these promises in, in him, but not ultimately. And clearly, the other sons of David who follow after uh, Solomon, um, we read about in the Old Testament, aren't the ultimate son of David that God promised would come. So despite enormous success, Solomon leaves a lot to be desired as David's son. And we're left scratching our heads and wondering, who will be this forever king? The, uh, and, and the answer to that question is the one who is God's one and only son, the one whose kingdom really does last forever. And these questions and answers bring us to our final section, the ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. So that last uh, section of the table there. God establishes Jesus' kingdom forever completely fulfilling his promise to David. If you, if you reflect on um, the, the fact that God himself, you know, the one who made everything, who rules over everything, promised that his rule of the world would be tied up with the son of David, that's an astonishing promise to think about when you think that, that, that God would promise that the way that he was going to rule the world forever would be through the son of David, someone in David's line. His rule of the universe. And in Jesus, we see how that promise makes sense. We see that that, that God has given Jesus to us as king over everything and everyone. Uh, He he rules uh, for all eternity. He is is God himself. And and that's how he can be this, this son of David and son of God. He is God himself come to this earth in David's line. So he can be the true son of David who rules forever and he's God himself and he can rule forever because of that. And we see that Jesus is God's one and only son. John 3.16 says that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Uh, so Solomon was described uh, by God as, as, as his son and there was that father-son sort of relationship there with Solomon. But the one who is God's one and only son is the Lord Jesus Christ, who has been the son for all eternity, one with the Father and the Spirit. And so we see here uh, the one who who is God's one and only son. And then finally, Jesus rules forever. Uh, So although he died, he rose again, never to die again. And uh, that's, that's different to Solomon and the other kings, isn't it? When you think about them, they... They died, but they didn't raise themselves from the dead and conquer death. No, only Jesus did that. And, uh, and so that makes him uniquely placed to rule forever over everything. He's defeated our ultimate enemies of sin, death, and the devil. And that's what you'd want from the perfect king, isn't it? The king defeats enemies, and Jesus has defeated our ultimate enemies of sin, death, and the devil. And Jesus reigns at the right hand of the Father for all eternity. He has uh, risen from the dead and he's ascended uh, to, to heaven where he rules forever. He is the king who rules. And he's the king who, who he did die. But he died and then rose again 
never to die again. Uh, he's the only one who can be the king who rules forever. And he is truly the son of David. So these promises of God that the son of David would rule forever as king and be to him a son and God would be to him a father are finding their complete and ultimate fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, the house of God. Uh, we see that, that Jesus speaks of his body as the temple. Uh, we see that in John 2, 18 to 22. Uh, the, the disciples are looking at the temple and, and Jesus says uh, about how, you know, uh, you knock down the temple, I'll raise it up in, in three days. And he's talking about the temple of his body. Jesus is God present with us. Um, in the temple, God's presence was specially there in, in, in that place. In Jesus, we have God himself walking the earth um, in, in bodily form. The ultimate temple. Uh, in, in John 1.14, uh, it says there, the word, that's talking about Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us or tabernacled among us. Jesus is God present here on earth. The tabernacle was kind of like the precursor to the temple where God was specially present um, before the temple. And, um, and we see how Jesus is God uh, and he is present with us. Um, God himself walking this earth that he made. How awesome is that? And now we in Christ are his temple because his Holy Spirit has come to live in us. Uh, you can see that in 1 Corinthians 6 um, uh, where he says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Um, uh, and, and then in, in 1 Peter 2, he talks about us being built as uh, living stones upon the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. So we now have God living in us for all who are Jesus' people. And so we are his temple um, in, in, if we're in Jesus. We who know and trust Jesus are members of his body. And he lives in us by his spirit. And that's because we're united to Jesus. And we are in him. So you think about how God in his love made these promises. Uh, he, made, he promised that, 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 that David's son would build God's house. We see that with, with Solomon. How he, he built the temple. But the temple doesn't last. Jesus builds a temple that lasts forever. Um, Jesus is the ultimate temple god himself in human form and then he builds us upon himself into into that temple and, and never never to be taken away or ruined uh when you think about the big picture and you think one day we're going to be there with god forever face to face with him no one's coming in to burn down that temple um no no one can can, can burn down uh that 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 relationship that god has given us with himself of being with him and uh, in him and united to Jesus. Finally there, Jesus never committed iniquity, um, but rather took our iniquity upon himself on the cross so that we can go free. On the cross, Jesus died the death we deserved to save us and to give us life that we don't deserve. Uh, so Jesus is different from Solomon and from all the other kings who came before him. When you look at all of those other kings, um, most of them, I mean, um, Kelch and I have just recently been reading through kings and you get to the end of his life and it's like his heart was not wholly after the Lord and so many bad kings, like straight up bad kings. And then you get a few and it's like, 
oh yeah, he was good, but he still left the high places there or he still didn't follow God completely. Or there's, um, and you see that each and every one of those kings falls short in some capacity, just like each of us falls short in some capacity. But Jesus never did. He never falls short. He is perfect in every way. It's hard for us to, to completely wrap our minds around, but it's so true. And it's, 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 it's the, the beautiful testimony of the scriptures that Jesus is perfect. He never sinned, despite being tempted. Uh, he never, ever sinned. And so he can take that iniquity upon himself rather than, than, than paying the price for his own iniquity. You see, uh, Isaiah 53 tells us that we, we esteemed him stricken by God, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. You see, when Jesus goes to the cross, he isn't bearing the, the, the penalty that he deserves. No, he's bearing the penalty that we deserve. And uh, in that, we see him taking our iniquity upon himself so that we don't have to. For all of us who look to him, put our faith in Jesus, we don't bear that. We don't bear the consequences of our sin because Jesus has borne it for us in our place. And then when we look at God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, we see his love and we see his love perfectly shown to us. We see the loving Father who gives his Son in our place. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The Father giving his Son. We see the perfect love of the Son, who said, greater love hath no man than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. Sorry, I learned that when I was still using the KJV. <laughs> and uh, we see the perfect love of Jesus for us, laying down his life in our place, for his friends. He calls us his friends. What amazing love that is. And we see the amazing love of the Holy Spirit coming to fill sinners, uh, causing uh, us to overflow. Uh, I'll read it to you in John uh, chapter 7. Um, think about God making his dwelling place in us. Um, John seven thirty-seven to 39 says this, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. The Spirit has now been given. Jesus has been glorified. And out of our hearts now, for all who believe in Jesus, flow rivers of living water. The Holy Spirit, he is at work in us. He flows in us. And we see his love in, coming, in him coming to make his home uh, in us and with us. So as we reflect on God and his amazing word and his promises, we see how he makes promises and then he keeps them. He, he, he partially fulfilled them in the Old Testament. But we can always see that there's, there needs to be more than, than just what happened with Solomon. There are things that don't quite fulfill everything that was promised in the promises. So we're left looking for who's going to be the ultimate son of David. And then when Jesus appears, we see, yes, here he is. And it's important, uh, like we see in Matthew, that Jesus is able to, we're able to trace his lineage back to David. 
because these promises were made by God specifically to David and to his descendant, to, to the son of David. Uh, so, so we know, we can have great confidence that Jesus really is uh, the one who is the king who rules forever because he really did come in the line of David. It just adds weight to those claims that Jesus makes. When you reflect on, on the truth uh, that Jesus is the ultimate king, how does, how does that make you respond? What, what do you think when you think of Jesus being the ultimate king? Uh, is that something that you're excited about, that you think is, is wonderful, the best thing ever? Or do you think, oh no, that's, that's not good? Uh, do you, are, you, are you scared by that? Are you uh, intimidated? Uh, well, Jesus is the loving king. He's the perfect, kind, loving king who rules perfectly. I'm glad that I'm not the ruler of the universe. I could never do it properly. But Jesus, the one who is loving, who is kind, who is God, who is, who is perfect in every way, he can and he does rule perfectly. Have you trusted Jesus as your saviour? Uh, we spoke about how he took our iniquity on the cross in our place. But that's only true for all of those who believe in him. So trust Jesus as saviour. We need to do that individually. We can't uh, do that by association that I know so-and-so who's a Christian, so I must be all right. No, we each need to know Jesus. We each need to be reconciled to him. And then, uh, is Jesus your king? Uh, he's the ultimate king and we each must submit to him individually as king, turning away from our sin and turning to him. And are you looking to Jesus to know God? Uh, he is God himself in human form. Uh, he's, if you want to know God, come to Jesus. He is the way, the only way. And if you do know Jesus, is his rule displayed in your life? Uh, do you know the son of David? Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, you are all glorious. Uh, you are gracious and kind. We thank you that you are the ultimate fulfillment of all of the promises of God, including these ones that we've looked at today. The promises that you, Lord God, made to David and to the son of David. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have fulfilled these promises, that you have defeated our enemies of sin, death, and the devil, that you are the king who rules forever, that you are God's son, that you are the ultimate temple, that you build us into your temple, that you uh, include us in, in this amazing, loving relationship that, that we have no right to be included in, but are because of your love. Thank you, Jesus, that you uh, took our iniquity upon yourself, uh, not, not, not dying for anything that you'd done, but dying for what we'd done. Thank you, Jesus, for that. And thank you, Lord, that your love uh, is so enormous that we, we, we can't even comprehend it fully, Lord. We, but we are in awe of the God who is loving, of a Father who gives his only Son in our place, of our friend, Lord Jesus, who laid down his life for us, and Holy Spirit, you who make your home in our hearts. We praise you, we thank you, we glorify you. In Jesus' almighty and holy name, amen.